Stream the show on demand at catchacanradio.com. I'm just over here grooving to that fun music. Hello. Welcome to First City Forum. Ah, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. It is First Tuesday. I think it's February 8th, and it is raining. Don't forget, KTKN's I'm just going to stop my feet and say no and say I disagree. Anyways, my name's Catherine Tatsuda. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And this other voice that you hear in the background is a voice that maybe you recognize. Maybe you don't. Um, this is my dear friend, Deborah Asper. She's on the show today with me. Hi, Deb. Hi. How morning. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yay. I'm so excited that you're here with me. Yeah, me too. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Um, Deborah came on. You came on and talked to me on First City Forum. It's, gosh, sometime in 2020. And you shared your story of addiction. Like and recovery and we cried basically the whole time it was uh it was lots of fun and um for those who don't know who deborah is in um she used to work with me at tatsuda's iga she uh, started on as a part-time cashier and worked her way up through the ranks pretty quickly and ended uh as the store director when the land slide hit the and then kind of moved into homeowners, a renters and auto coverage to business life and health oh. there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Helps if I turn my stack down <laughs> and if I push the button. All right. I was so excited that Deb was here. I didn't do all the things that I needed to do. Look at me. <laughs> um, anyways, now I fixed it. Okay. So, um, so Deborah had worked her way through the ranks at Tatsudas and then the landslide hit and we spent a lot of time together sorting through the wreckage of all of that. We spent a lot of time together crying around and processing everything in odd ways um, <laughs> and then we had great plans on you know continuing to do things together and sometimes those plans change they do and um, but we are still close and we still care about each other a lot um, and Deborah has been working for a local agency doing incredible work and we're going to talk about some of that stuff that she's doing so hey Hey, you want to fill us all in on what life has been like for you since the last time we chatted on here? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So I guess since the last time I was on here, um, <laughs> I did a lot of moping around and soul searching and was trying to find um, a place for me to fit. Yeah. Um, and it was that was really hard. Yeah, super hard. Because I went into it with the expectation that I was going to find a place that like just fit like Tatsuda's fit, mm -hmm. and that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So then I had to like come to the realization that I have to start something and then like make myself fit. Right. <laughs> make. <laughs> I'm going to fit in here whether you want me to or not. Whether you like it or not. Um, and so I started, well, first, actually, I did a lot of volunteering during that time. You did. At the homeless shelter. Yes, you did. A lot. I was, like, basically a full-time volunteer, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was, that was a very incredible experience. Um, Do you want to fill people in about how that connects to your history and you personally? 
So I have spent a large part of my adult life homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like in all different places, all over the world. Um, and so just being able to connect with people like it's that are experiencing the same thing is really powerful for me. And I hope for them. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I ended up joining the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and not volunteering as much, mm-hmm. but now I am the chair of the homeless shelter board, mm-hmm. which is also a really incredible experience. Yes. Being able to like plan and help and figure out, like problem solve. Um, yeah, it's not something that I've ever done before. I don't think I've ever been on a board before, and I've definitely not chaired a board. Sure. Um, but... It's gone now okay. I, now I do. Now you do. You're learning as you go, right? Yes. There you go. You're making yourself fit. <laughs> making in myself the, fit. In the best position that you know how. Yes. <laughs> Being in charge. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, so along with, uh, so being the chair of the Homeless Shelter Board and doing some volunteer mm-hmm. work and, and helping to helping to create, you know, good things through that organization, you are also working for the Ketchikan Wellness Coalition. I am. What what are you doing for them? I am the drug-free communities coordinator. So there is a thing called the drug-free communities grant, which focuses primarily on prevention and youth. Mm-hmm. Um, however, because most things can be tied to youth prevention just in the community, um, it uh, we're able to do all different kinds of things, which is really exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. So, so when did you start that position? October 10th. Yeah. I want to say. Somewhere around yeah. there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so you oversee the PEERS program. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And then what does PEERS stand for? Prevention, intervention, education, recovery, and support. Look at you. <laughs> I know. Look I was you. like, you've uh, been practicing. What, what does it stand for? <laughs> And what kind of work do you do then through this grant? You know, what are some of the focuses and what are the big outcomes that you're that you're working towards? Um, right now, I am working a lot towards education, education for the community, um, education. We've been having um, a drug epidemic. Yes. Um, and specifically with opioids and now more recently with uh, fentanyl. Okay. And so there's a lot of education is in terms of um, like how, how we can help, what we can do. I mean, prevention ultimately uh, boils down to like stopping before there's a problem, mm-hmm. like stopping, stopping the problem from happening. So mm-hmm. um, targeting youth before they have addiction and helping them uh, with more, with better coping skills, um, helping them find out. Uh, what they're into, um, being more connected to the community, being more connected to themselves and other adults. Um, there's so recently, our biggest event that we did recently was we brought Eskimo Ninja mm-hmm. to town, and that he went into the schools, he did some fun activities with the community, um, and so that was that was part of like a educational. Um, educational fun thing that we do yeah Um, we're also right now working a lot towards harm reduction Mm -hmm. so I've been doing a lot of Narcan training I think in your other position you and I are going to pair to do some uh, 
community Narcan training so yes. that everybody can come who wants to and get uh, get trained on how to how to use Narcan, and then they will have they'll receive. A Narcan kit. From yeah. That. So t- tell me what Narcan is and so, why somebody might want to get trained and understand it. Narcan is something that will prolong a opioid overdose. So there are these receptors in your brain that when you use opioids, they go into, right? And then they slow your body function down, basically. Mm-hmm. And so an, overdo- an overdose is when it's slow, you take too much. And your body slows down so much that you stop breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Narcan will block those receptors for a short period of time. So it sort of lets you, it'll hopefully wake the person up, get them responsive, get uh, 911 the time to get to you. Um, but it doesn't necessarily stop an overdose. Okay. So it's really important that if you Narcan somebody, you then call 911 immediately. Um, because you, they can come out of an overdose for 25, 30 minutes and then go right back into it once the Narcan wears off. Okay. Depending I, on how okay. much. Yeah, yeah, that's really important to, mm-hmm. to understand. And also that there's, that this is, a, this is available yeah. and um, that you provide it to the community mm-hmm. for free yep. along with training, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, okay. So that's one of the other pieces that you do. So yeah. education, providing that. Um, and uh, you also just were at a big conference in Washington, D.C. I was. <gasps> so exciting. Yeah. 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 So tell me about that, what it was. You know, just let's talk about that. So I was at a CADCA conference, and it's uh, CADCA stands for the Community of Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. So um the grant that we have is actually a grant that a lot of different places have. So you can get a drug-free communities grant um, anywhere in the United States. Um, along with just different organizations that work with youth and that work with people who are um, at high risk for developing um, substance use mm-hmm. uh, challenges. And so like, I met somebody from a Boys and Girls Club Mm-hmm. And she was there. I met somebody who didn't necessarily work with a drug-free communities um, grant, but she worked with um, a lot of the people who are the drug-free community grant is focused on. So it's just kind of, it's like, it's a, it's a big mix of people from a lot of different places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's all just sort of about education. So there's little mini classes and you go. And so like one of the ones that I went to was from a uh, senior DEA agent. And he was talking about the compounds of, of drugs now. So like he was talking about how back in the 80s, when you uh, went and you were looking at a drug, right, there is usually only two Two substances. So there'd mm-hmm. be like, there'd be like, say, Coke, and there'd be a, a something to cut it with. Now we're looking at, he said, like 15 to 20 different substances, um, and it changes all the time. Oh and my. so when we are talking about Narcan, and it used to be that like you could use one Narcan and help somebody. Now you need two or more. And it's because these substances that are being used to cut 
um, these drugs, uh, a lot of them actually are like keep you from being receptive to Narcan. Mm. Um, a lot of them will sort of enhance the effects of the opioids. And so it was really interesting to listen to. So there's like, there's ones like that. And then we listened to somebody's uh, story and then how to help develop a youth coalition. Like mm-hmm. it, um, there's all kinds of just different subjects. It's a, it's a broad range. Broad range. Mm-hmm. What was, you know, what were maybe the top three things that you took away from this event? Um, one, it's incredible to see how many people are working towards the same goal. Like yes. it's, I think that we look at like the drug, drug epidemic and we think like, oh, there's, there's all of these people out there that need this help, mm-hmm. you know, and like, how are they going to get this help? But then you go to these conferences and you have like 1,400 to 2,000 people all from across the, the country who are getting together um, just to share share information and share resources. Um, and it, that's, that's really powerful. Yes. Um, especially as a, as a person in recovery. Right. I think. Right. Um, also, um, let's see, top three. Top three. I know. <laughs> Hard question. Um, I would say the DEA agent was actually like, a, it was really interesting to break down the different drugs and the substances and mm-hmm. like learn about why things were working and why things weren't working. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're looking at it from like a harm reduction point of view, um, it it helps mm-hmm. to know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now there's 161 registered compounds of fentanyl. Mm. Um, and so the most potent fentanyl of lethal dose is one 268ths of a salt grain. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, information like that was really was really interesting to learn because when you have fentanyl strips, like, fentanyl strips are great for, like, learning if there's fentanyl in your drugs, uh-huh. but they don't tell you how much is in there. And sure. so, um, yeah, so just looking at it from a harm reduction point of view, it was really, mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made a lot of friends. And you did. Yeah. <laughs> I made a lot of friends. I made a lot of connections. Uh, that was actually like one of the highlights was to go and um, yeah, just meet people and talk to people. And I don't know. I don't know if, if everybody knows this, but I like to talk to people. <laughs> and meet people. So you won the you won the networking award. Uh, it turns out I did not. Oh, I was in the lead for such a long time, Darn. but then, so there's also this youth component of CADCA. Oh, okay. And so there was a youth who was able to like, just be super cute youth and oh, yes. go around and scan everybody's badges. I was really concerned about making the actual connection, right? Uh, which took a little bit more time. But then this lady from Arkansas, who is fabulous, uh-huh. uh, like knocked everybody out. Oh, darn. Darn so. But I still like connected with over 300, 300, 400 people. That's incredible. Yeah. That's just incredible. And to sit and to be able to have conversations with them about what's happening inside of their communities. Mm-hmm. What are the different, you know, the different campaigns, the different things, what's working and what's not. Right. Did you hear some about, you know, did you get some ideas from other people um, about, you know, things that they've done that's worked, lessons they've learned that you 
could share with us? Yeah, well, I, I was really focused on learning on how to build a youth coalition because that is one of the requirements for a, um, a drug-free grant. Um, and so that was really like learning how other people have engaged youth and brought them in um, and have had them be facilitating these things in the community. That was really helpful and beneficial. Yeah. Um, I So, f- so f- Alaska's a little behind in the fentanyl uh, craze, I guess. And so it was um, interesting to hear how all of these communities have dealt with fentanyl mm-hmm. um, and being able to come back and like hope to put some of that into into in uh, into action yes yeah yes. that that we can do yeah so let's talk really quickly though about fentanyl um can you ex- so i i know very little about this except that i know that you know fentanyl is one of having it be in with the drugs is one of the main causes for some of the overdoses, mm-hmm. if not all of them that we've been experiencing. Why is that? Like, what what's the deal with fentanyl? So fentanyl is a, it's a painkiller, right? So it's an opioid. And um, fentanyl, on average, is about 10,000 times more potent than heroin, Oh, So if you have a shot of heroin or you're doing, like, let's say you have a certain amount of heroin that you can do that you know that you won't overdose on, um, and then somebody changes that with fentanyl, then you have a much more potent drug combo than you realize you do. And okay. so that's, that's one of the biggest issues. Okay. And then it's being, because it's cheaper, so you are able to, like, people are mixing it, like, they're cutting their heroin with it without uh, letting everybody know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just watched an episode of Ozark on Netflix because um, I've been watching I a lot of show. yeah. Because <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, television shows and Netflix and things like that since uh, Tatsudas was destroyed. And in one of the episodes, th- well, one of the, you know the some of the main characters in there are heroin. They have like a heroin farm, like a poppy farm, and then they sell heroin in it. This is this is what I know about the drug world, right? What I see on TV um, for the most part. And um, but and then there was though there was an episode where you know the woman in that family she added fentanyl to their to the heroin you know that Mm -hmm. was going out and yeah and there were a lot of overdoses from there so I understand what you're okay that makes sense I just didn't know what fentanyl was I was like I don't understand I don't know what that is you know so and it's so people are getting powder fentanyl and then they're creating their own pills with it and then so like you can get a pill that has you know like two milligrams of fentanyl which is like the start of a lethal dose to having like a thousand milligrams of fentanyl in it and without even realizing that it's what it is they also look like um like leaf pills so while we were at cadca there was a mother talking about how her son had overdosed on fentanyl because he thought he was taking headache medicine and he was 12 oh my gosh and he got fentanyl from a classmate oh or he got the pills from a classmate so like it's yeah, it's it's not just in our drugs, but it's also like pills that are being distributed in the community. Yeah. I have no words for that. Yeah. I just it's don't. It's pretty devastating. That's, that's just devastating. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you have, um, 
we're going to take a break here in just a minute or two, so we're not going to go too deep into this. But um, before we talk about this, this other thing that I want to talk about, let's talk about, so you are at this, um, at this big conference in Washington, D.C. for a, you know, for a, for a week. Mm -hmm. And then on your way home, you uh, stayed overnight and spent a little bit of time in Seattle. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, let's talk about that and what your goals are for that. And then we're going to take a break. Okay. So one of the things that I am um, doing in this position is researching harm reduction. Um, So there's lots of different types of harm reduction. There's needle exchanges, there's um, uh, like STD testing, there's um, like food banks. I mean, there's there's a lot of different types. Can you types. explain what harm reduction means in how in how you're using it? Yeah, so harm reduction is just um, when you, there's a risk and you're doing something to help lower that risk from happening. So like helmets, when you're riding a bike, that's harm reduction. A seatbelt, when you're riding a car, that's harm reduction. Like you know that there's a risk that you're gonna, that you could crash. So you lower that risk by wearing a seatbelt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we had uh, like um, reflective vests right. at Tatsudas when people would go out and make, del- you know, do right. things like that or putting up wet floor signs when. So, OK, that's yeah. a, those are great examples. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. So um, in sort of when it relates to drugs, it's really meeting somebody where they are and helping them stay safe where um, doing what they're going to be doing anyway. Sure. So, like um, the spread of HIV and the spread of hep C is really uh, common between IV users. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so like needle exchanges help cut that uh, down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Narcan obviously helps keep people from overdosing. Right. Um, so I was in Seattle and I was just down there looking at different programs, uh, making some connections, asking questions, getting examples of what uh, what other places have been doing for many, many years mm-hmm. um, so that I could bring some some ideas back here and hopefully implement them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to go, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of those ideas yeah. and uh, just talk more about how Deborah Asper is helping to create work towards a drug-free community here in Ketchikan through her work at the Ketchikan Wellness Coalition. This is First City Forum. I'm Catherine Tatsuda. We'll be right back after these messages. I heard cloudy with a chance of rain, which means not flooding, so I'm really excited about that. All right. Thank you, Tracy Brown. Welcome back to First City Forum. I'm Catherine Tatsuda, and we've been having a really interesting conversation with Deborah Asper, who is working for Ketchikan Wellness Coalition as the drug-free communities coordinator. coordinator. <laughs> Hooray! Yay. Yay! Deborah's been in that position since um, about early August, October. October of 2021 and um, has done all sorts of really cool stuff. And you were just telling us about your trip down to Seattle, Washington, D.C., and then also in Seattle and learning about the different harm reduction programs that they have there. So what are you seeing as being able to bring back to Ketchikan and, and, and what do you want to implement? Um, I really would like to see a needle exchange mm-hmm. um, with, and I know that that's a very controversial controversial um, idea. Yes. Um, but when you think about getting somebody off the streets and active use, 
uh, who are IV users to getting them to being like in recovery, a functioning member of society, like doing the things that they want to be doing. Uh, it's it's a giant journey, and there's so many different steps that need to happen in order for in order for that to be successful. Um, and I think that one of the things that needle exchanges are doing, besides helping keep the spread of HIV and Hep C and other uh, blood transmitted diseases, um, it creates um, a trust. Mm-hmm. It creates uh, these people who are sort of living in the darkness to come out and to connect with people, mm-hmm. um, to get information. The the uh, stats behind it are people who participate in harm reduction programs like needle exchanges, like Narcan trainings. Um, they are five times more likely to go through treatment and be successful than people who do not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great building, like it's a great first step for people to start taking responsibility for themselves and for their addiction, understanding that they need clean needles and then going down and getting them or they need um, medical supplies. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's something that that I would really like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's talk about why it's controversial. Uh, because a lot of people think that it's enabling. Okay. Right? So like you give people clean needles, mm-hmm. they're going to go use more mm-hmm. in reality an addict is going to use whether they have clean needles or not right mm-hmm. like so when I was using I use dirty needles all the time mm-hmm. um, it's not going to make them want to use more mm-hmm. it's just going to keep them safe while they're using and that's that's the definition of harm reduction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that that's interesting it it Deborah and I have known each other for for quite a while we were very close and we had a lot of conversations about um, about your experience um, in active addiction, about your experience in recovery, and helping to helping to part, helping to kind of break the shame. And like you said, they're living into in the darkness mm-hmm. and bringing people into the light just a little bit and creating trust. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were using, when you were in that space, like what was life like for you there? Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. It was horrible. Like, I can't even, like, having to, having to carry all your belongings with you because, because that's, like, you, that's what you are is what you have. Right. Um, not knowing where you're going to sleep, not, like, having really any friends, like, not, you know, nobody wants to be around you. People are looking at you like you shouldn't, like, you don't belong places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it was definitely, um, it was not a good time. But it was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so when, we're, when for me, when I was trying to get out of addiction, the thing that kept me in it was that I didn't know what was on the other side. Yes. Right? So you have, um, you have this person who usually has a fair amount of trauma and, and, and fear and hurt and who are using drugs to help process that mm-hmm. or to um, cope. And they are having a hard time coping without them. Though, well, how do you think? I mean, like the idea of having to then go live life without them is terrifying. Like, yeah, that's that's something that I remember. Like, if I can barely function with them, like, how am I going to be able to function without them? Sure. So, how did you function without them? Oh my gosh, uh, it was a long, long process. Um, when I went through treatment, it was run by people who were very aware of the fact that I had 
always fought for my addiction and have mm-hmm. never fought for my sobriety. And so that was something that made a huge difference in my recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, finding good support systems, finding yes, that safe places, mm-hmm. find all of those things. Yeah. As well as a really strong drive to not live there anymore. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. So coming from, you know, your history, and, and when did you start using? When I was 11. And you used for nearly 20 years? Almost 20 years, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was all sorts of drugs. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you know, you have this, you've lived this experience of, of starting at a young age, having a very severe trauma, pain, hurt, having a family that loved you, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, supportive, but then also going through this, I mean, like just crazy challenging time, going through recovery, being out on the other side of it. And so how long have you been, uh, Have how long have you been in recovery for? On March 2nd, I'll have seven years. Oh my gosh. I know. I met you when it was like one year. I know. I know. I actually think I celebrated my first, my first birthday at Tatsudas. I think so. And everybody was confused and thought it was my actual birthday. Right. And so they like bought me cupcakes and donuts, and I had to explain, no, no, it's not really my birthday. <laughs> it is, but it isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and so now you know, and, and you learned and you grew inside of your role at Tatsudas, and you know, discovered mm-hmm. parts of yourself there. And now you're working um, in this. E- in this capacity of like trying to help to create a safe community, a drug-free community, and then also um, putting systems in place to keep those who are in active um, addiction, active use, mm-hmm. help to still keep them safe mm-hmm. while they're going through their own journey. How does that feel for you? Um, yeah, it's so funny. I was just talking about this yesterday. Um, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it feels good. Like it feels good because I, I've been, um, I've been on the streets. I've been the person that has been like digging through the trash for food. I've been the person that needs the clean needles. Um, but it also like creates it like this being in this position creates a certain amount of like um, I don't even know how to explain it. Like uh, unease. Sure. Not- not necessarily like unease in a bad way, but when I was working at Tatsudas, mm-hmm. we talked about groceries all the time, yes. right? So my life was groceries <laughs> yes. all the time, even and when I wasn't, and, even when I, yeah. And community, it was, yeah, how can, and marketing and business development and, and how can that be better? Right. I, I read, this is really, really personal. This is really personal. Is yeah. it triggering for you? Um, in some ways. Well, it is. Yeah. Because like, well, at Tatsudas, you, you're constantly focused on the things that you're working on and towards. Mm-hmm. And that's something that like now I'm constantly focused on drugs mm-hmm. and people who are using and trying to help people from using. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has all of a sudden in the last four months, like completely consumed my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would get text messages from you and you would just be like another person overdosed last night. Yeah. 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 It's it's definitely a different it's different. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Very different world. Yeah. Very yeah. very different world. 
So, um, so where are like as a community, where are we, and what are some steps that you know to to the gentleman who's listening or the woman who's listening who doesn't ever had any problems with addiction? You know, what is some what's something that they could do um, to help in some capacity? Um, well, as a community, I think that we've recognized that there's this issue and that mm-hmm. it needs to be addressed and that things need to change because what has been happening isn't working or what has or it just needs to be something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for people who like are in the community, get trained on Narcan, carry Narcan kits on you. Um, you know, I mean, be... Mostly, I guess, just like be supportive of the f- things that are different that we, um, that other people, other, a, a different group of people than what you are used to mm-hmm. needs in order to be successful. Like we can't, we can't put anybody into recovery if they're all dead. Right. Very true. Yeah. Very, so it's, very, very true. So if somebody wanted to learn about Narcan, get a kit from you, do a training, um, how would they do that? Um, You could go to the Ketchikan Wellness Coalition website, um, which you'll have to look up online. (laughs) I think it's kwc.org, but I don't know that for positive. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or you can email me. So my personal email is deborah at ktnkwc.org. Um, I'm also all over Facebook, so you can message me uh, <laughs> personally as well. Yeah, definitely. And how does the Narcan, like, what, is it like a full day of training? Or, you know, no, am I going to have to commit 50 hours to this with uh, a test at the end? Close. <laughs> It'll take 10 to 15 minutes. Oh. And actually, my, uh, my colleague Kristen and I, and we're going to be on later this month to talk yes. about this, but we're going to be going around uh, doing some mental health first aid training as well as Narcan training. So it'll be about 30 minutes. And so um, you can contact me or you can contact Kristen if that is something that, that you are interested in. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. And I remember seeing, so I don't, you know, I don't live in that world. I don't, I don't, I haven't been around somebody who's overdosed. I haven't, I just haven't. That's that's not the world that I live in, you mm-hmm. know. And I and I don't really even know the people who do. I used to. I mean, like way back when I was in my early twenties, I spent a lot of time in that world, but I don't now. Um, and so I'm fairly disconnected from it. And I haven't even done the training yet, but I will, and I want to, and I want to have that have that handy. And I and I did see not that long ago of a. a an acquaintance of mine on Facebook just happened to be somewhere and there was somebody who was overdosing and she knew she had Narcan and she knew how to use it and she saved that person's life Mm -hmm. and it was just a complete accident and a complete coincidence so even if you never think that you'll use it it's still something worthwhile yeah to have absolutely yeah absolutely I think um we recently had a string of a string of overdoses um and uh like if somebody had had Narcan who knows what the outcome would have been right um yeah right let's also talk really quickly though about that um let's say 
people are using and, and, and they're in a group of people who are using and they have a friend who is overdosing and they are so afraid to bring that friend to help for fear that they will get in trouble. Can we talk about that for a second? Yes. Yeah. There's a good Samaritan law. <laughs> So you, if you are with somebody who's overdosing and you have also been using, um, you can call 911, you can drop somebody off at the hospital and you, um, uh, there will not be any consequences. And that's really important because that is, that's a huge, I know for like when I was using, which was a while ago, but that was a big, that was a big thing. A lot of people just got left. Yeah. A lot of people just got left. So don't yeah. leave. So don't leave. Call yeah. for help. And that's. Bring to the hospital. And yeah. any of those things. I think that's really important to know. So it's called the Good Samaritan Law. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what could you tell somebody? We, you know, we have listeners from all over the place here in Ketchikan, over in Metlakatla, who is maybe deep in addiction. Um, and not just drugs, but maybe alcohol. Or here's the thing. Addiction is addiction mm-hmm. is addiction. Mm-hmm. Whether it's with drugs or alcohol or food or gambling, or, you know, I mean, there's a ton of them. What are some words that you can share as a person who's lived through it and who's come out and who is living a healthy, high-functioning life? Oh, my gosh. Um, There's so many words. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you're not alone. Like, that's something that I think that most people who are using struggle with because they're so isolated mm-hmm. um you're not alone I, I I've said this a lot like I wish I could hug people and like show people like like what it's like to be on this side because mm-hmm. there really isn't a whole lot that I can say that people right. haven't said to them already I'm sure sure um but I mean there's not you're an addict you're okay I mean it's fine um there's there's a different life that you can lead um yeah i'm i don't i could talk for hours to somebody who is using yeah and sometimes i do um it's uh what are some good places for people to go to to turn to for support if they're wanting to make some of those first steps aana um i know that um those places can be scary and because they are uh, religious based um, people try and avoid them but that is going to be a giant concentrated resource of people who can help you and support you and point you in the direction that you need to go Um, and that can help you in the moment versus like yes let's schedule an appointment for three months away right 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 and it's a great first step Mm -hmm. safe first step Mm -hmm. right reach out yeah. Do you do any work through the through your drug free communities grant on working with the families, the loved ones of addicts and alcoholics? You know, I don't uh-huh. um, because I am not an actual service provider. Yeah. Um, but I did stop by some places in Seattle that like that do mm-hmm. um, and so that was really interesting I've been talking to one of my friends who is a healthcare professional mm-hmm. and she is very interested in starting um, a program that is for families and for uh, people who are close to um, active users because it is it is something that affects 
everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's necessary and it's needed here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, my sister and I were just, I was just down in Seattle over the weekend and we were talking about, um, about our, about growing up. And we had some, we had some really difficult experiences that happened while we were growing up that definitely created long lasting, um, trauma and behaviors and and all of that stuff but addiction was never a part of our story um you know it's not in my family i don't have you know we're not alcoholics we never use drugs so you know that's not a part of me but when we were talking and we were saying you know how we're so thankful that that's truth and that's that's real but for me not so much for her like i landed on the other side of that on the codependent side Mm -hmm. on the person who loves the addict mm-hmm. yeah right so it's like your your addiction is to be being yeah. addicted to addicts mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah and and living and living in that and having you know lived in that and been you know many um yeah you know partners boyfriends all of that and knowing how difficult it is the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and you know going through being being in the room and you know them needing to uh, to go to the hospital because mm-hmm. they are they've been drinking for so long that they're afraid that they're going to die you know um and then going through the process of recovery and then also the heartbreak of relapse mm-hmm. yeah that's really that's uh that's really hard and that's something that um people who are close to active users experience Mm -hmm. and that's a prime example of why um, family groups and I know that there's a group called Al-Anon which really does help with codependency and I do want to say that like codependency is not an addiction problem like codependency is like a person with emotional problems yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, like you you can be a very healthy person I think and be codependent yes absolutely yeah um and so I, uh, yeah, it's, that's needed as sort of like a, a healing, um, a healing process. I know when I was in, so when I was in car house, my parents came for therapy, uh-huh. for counseling, and I pitched a fit. Like, it was the hardest thing that I'd ever, like, I was crying, and I was screaming, Aww. and I was like, it was horrible, but we had to get to the other side of that right. in order for both of us to be able to heal. Right. Um, and I had to sit there and listen to them and how my addiction had impacted them. Although I knew a lot of it, like it, they had to tell me. And it, um, now I'm very close with my family again. And, um, and that, that one counseling session really helped um, bridge, start bridging that that relationship again. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to bring that up because that's been my personal experience mm-hmm. with it, and I know that you know it's it is you know a family disease. It is, it's a community disease. It's a it is something that we all there's a ripple effects of it in mm-hmm. some way or another that impact all of our lives. Um, but especially as the family members or as you know the children who are growing up watching their parents and and all of those things. So. Yeah, I would be, um, 
I mean, especially in a community this small, like it would be very difficult to find one person who hasn't been impacted by addiction, Yeah, whether it's their own or somebody else's. Um, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I, uh, several years ago, I was helping with the uh, Peace Health Foundation's shoe solstice auction. And that was their once a year big fundraiser where everybody would come in and they could try on shoes and shop. And it was very fun. And all of the proceeds would go to supporting a, um, whether it was the purchase of equipment, like the 3D mammogram uh, machine that we have up at the hospital now, or creating a there's now an infusion suite um, because of the foundation's work where people who are needing um, chemotherapy and other types of infusions can go for I think Deborah probably I, utilized that space. I went there and yeah. it was lovely. Yeah and because of the work and some of the money that had been raised through that just that you know simple auction of selling shoes and one year the cause was to increase training and behavioral health services um, and training for like healthcare providers who were working in the emergency room and all of those other things for you know specifically around addiction and alcoholism issues and I asked the question to the audience and there was probably 200 people in the room and I said you know how many of you have been impacted how how many of you have a loved one who has you know who has dealt with this and it was probably 95 percent of the people in that room raised their hand because it is it is something that impacts all of us in one way or another and it's one of those things that none of us are talking about to each other Mm -hmm. which also makes it even harder yeah so yep um I just thought of something Ooh. that I do want to say to people who are using. Yes. Um, I And this is only because of my experience. I thought that I had to get, I thought that I had to go to, uh, go through certain steps in order to get clean. And there are multiple ways to get sober. Like there are so many different, I went through treatment. I have lots of friends who didn't go through treatment. I have friends who went through treatment five times. Like I have friends who um, got they just got clean all by themselves. So there are more than one way to do it. Um, you don't have to follow in anybody's footsteps. There's, it's not right or wrong. I love that. And then how many times did you relapse before you were able to be clean? <clears throat> oh, my gosh. That way? Um, well, so I went to treatment one other time um, because I had uh, tried to kill myself. Um, and so I went to treatment and that was 28 days. I thought I was going to get out. Um, okay. No, I didn't think I was going to get out and get clean. I knew I wasn't going to get out and be clean because I didn't want to be. Um, but I thought that I would have a long stretch and that didn't. Um, so I guess like that's really the only time, Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, it was always like, oh, I'm going to stop using drugs because I ran out or I'm going to stop using drugs because this particular time, uh, going through DTs is really hard or, um, you know, I mean, even when I went to jail, the first time I got let out of jail, I was high before I left the parking lot. Mm. Um, so I don't think that I really had any, it was just, I mean, like I was, I thought I was going to keep using until I had been at Carhouse for four months. Like, I didn't change my my uh, mindset about that until I had already. Yeah. And that's another, you don't have to want to get clean to go to treatment. Like, you, I did not want to get clean. I thought I was just going to go and do this time, uh, just like my jail time, and get out and get back on the streets again with all, yeah, no. No. Like, 
it changed. Yeah. My mind changed. Yeah. All right. So we have, uh, I'm going to say a minute left, minute and a half. Yeah. What sort of sunshine, hope, and like goodness can we share out into the world to, um, to leave people with? Oh. I know. Uh, we love you. We love you. We're so <laughs> thankful for all of you. Can I could tell them a little hopeful story yeah. about? Um, so Deborah and I used to we created by accident this entire like big marketing campaign through Tatsudas that involved us wearing elf dresses at any point in time during the year, and it was a lot of fun and people really liked them. And there's a terribly sad, funny, ironic story about. We put them in a very safe place before the store got destroyed so that nobody, they wouldn't be in the way. We'd never lose them again. And then that safe place turned out to be the worst possible place they could have ever been. (laughs) And they were lost in the wreckage for a really, really, really long time. And then we finally pulled them out. They were so covered with maggot casings and all sorts of other terribleness and it was heartbreaking and we cried and we couldn't find them on the internet anywhere until we posted and asked for help from friends on Facebook and before we knew it on Deborah's birthday in December I was able to give her two identical brand new elf dresses yay because uh, there's um there's always goodness and there's always hope and there's always a chance yeah for and if you ask start. people are willing to help absolutely yep yep people especially in catch can mm-hmm. if you ask people are willing to help so get in touch with deborah asper she's on facebook she's happy to help yes. with narcan training lots of help <laughs> that's it for us today thank you deborah you're i really welcome. appreciate the work you're doing and yeah. just you coming in and sharing your story i'm Catherine tatsuda i will be back with first city forum tomorrow we'll be speaking with uh, a University of Alaska Ketchikan campus as well as the folks from Ketchikan Museums. Good stuff. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon.